Let's pray together. Father, come and and we we do thank you. We thank you that you are God and you are good and that you are a father to us. And we know that that we don't have any claim to that. We know it's all of your grace because we were orphaned by sin. We all turned away from you and spurned you and your goodness to us. But in Christ, you offer us this, a new life. And we have the spirit of adoption in which we can cry out in the deepest parts of us, Abba, Father. And so today, God, we pray that you make us holy. We pray that you, we would hear your voice, that you would give us wisdom to listen, that you would open our ears you would open our eyes and you open our heart to truth. And so we come this morning just bowing in thankfulness and asking a father who knows how to give good gifts to his children to give us the good gift of understanding the truth. And we pray all this in the name above every name, Jesus. Amen. I'd like to show you something, if you would, turn your attention to the screen as you go ahead and turn to the book of James in your Bibles. Um, have you ever been to this store? This is a Swedish store. They're all over the place. Well, actually, really not. They're in certain locations. Like, I think they got one in Memphis. They got one in Atlanta. It's called Ikea. Uh, you can read. Okay, I know that. Ikea has the most infuriating instructions of putting together things of all time. Because they're a Swedish company and they make furniture for all over the world, they put not a lick of instruction. They just draw little pictures of what you're supposed to do. It's the most infuriating, sanctifying, or your sanctification testing process you could ever be a part of. I've put together many of these things, one of which was a wardrobe. I put together, I put it together twice, and you'd think I'd have had it done. I put two of them together. You'd think I'd had it after the first one, but no. That thing made you want to say every four-letter word in the dictionary, or even that you would make up. It is the most infuriating thing. This little pictures, a little cartoon things, putting stuff together. I'm like, some Somebody tell them how to write instructions in English or put pictures. It's the most infuriating thing I think I've ever done. You tell. I was like, I felt the rage kind of welling up. IKEA instructions are nothing. They're awful until you think about YouTube instructions. Those are so much better. If you know this, you can find out how to do almost anything in the world on YouTube. It's fantastic. I mean, it really is. I didn't know how to tie a tie in, in college, and so I went on YouTube, and I went, how to tie a tie. And guess what? I didn't type like that either. That's like, But looked it up, and guess what? I learned how to tie not just one tie knot, but they had 12 in a row. And so my roommate and I sat in college tying ties together, on, you know, wearing T-shirts, tying ties together on YouTube. And when we didn't get it right, what did we do? We backed up. Did the same thing the other day. I had to try. I tried to fix my lawnmower. The, it was helpful. Okay, I didn't blow myself up because I was able to look at those instructions, see real time examples, and then go back and forth and see what people are actually doing. Not some stinking little cartoon that was drawn in Sweden. That's not what I need. I'm dumb. I need something explicit. I need explicit examples. And if you're honest with yourself, when it comes to the Bible, we need explicit examples in order to obey. Praise be to God in the book of James. He gives us explicit examples of how to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer. And so he gives us some examples at the end of chapter 1 in James 1, 26 through 27. 
It says this. Are y'all awake this morning, everybody? Good. All right. James 1, 26 and 27. See if you can pick out. There's three, three explicit examples of what it means to be a doer of the word. Or also, he would classify it this way as practicing pure, true, undefiled religion that is not worthless. See if you can pick them out. Verse 26 of James chapter 1. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but... He, but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. Secondly, it says this, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their afflictions and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Going back and just pick this out real quick. I think you can see the three things. The three things that are explicit examples or illustrations of what it means to not just be a hearer of the word, to be a doer, are this. Bridle your tongue in verse 26. Visit orphans and, wit- orphans and widows in their afflictions. That's the second one. And the third one is to keep oneself unstained from the world. Those are the three major points we're going to look at. What does it mean to be a doer of the word? James gives us three explicit examples. You see those examples. One, bridle your tongue. Watch your mouth. Number two, what is it? Visit widows and orphans in their affliction. Number three, keep yourself unstained from the world. Now, I want you to know something. I'm going to spend a disproportionate amount of time in this sermon on the second one, on visiting widows and orphans in their affliction. And I'll tell you why. It's not just because I have a heart for that, because I do, but because every other one of these, all the other Two of, of the examples mentioned are discussed later on in the book, and so you're going to get a larger treatment on it when we get there. For example, there's a whole chapter, there's, there's about 12 verses in James chapter 4 about how to silence your tongue and how deadly your tongue is. Okay? So we're going to get to that. We're going to discuss it briefly today. But no, it's coming. Okay? They're going to talk about our language. Our language matters to God. Interesting. Third one is keep yourself unstained from the world or to guard yourself from being stained by the world. He talks about worldliness in James chapter 3. So here, that's just so you know. So we're going to spend a lot of time on widows and orphans, okay, because it doesn't appear again, and we need to talk about it. Secondly, I want you to see this. Of these three examples, note this in verse 26. He gives us a, he gives us a scenario. I like scenarios. Scenarios help us. They're examples. Verse 26 serves as a scenario. Verse 26 says this, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue or keep guard over your tongue, bridle, what is a bridle? A bridle, and he talks about this later in James. James talks about it. It's something that you would put in a horse's mouth, and you turn the horse using that that bridle, if you will. You can stop the horse. You may go left or right. Theoretically, you can make it go left and right. It depends on how good of a horseback rider you are or what have you. But this is the idea of keeping your tongue under control. That is not easy, by the way. But notice this. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And so James imagines a scenario with that if in the front in verse 26, a scenario of someone who thinks that they're right with God just because they do religious actions well. Now he's already told us in verse in James 1:22 that you're not only supposed to hear the word, but you're supposed to do the word. And if you don't, if you hear the word and don't do the word, you're deceiving yourself because you're not really hearing the word at all. Does that make sense? It's, it's kind of the same as you telling your kid to do something, and you ask them if they heard you. Like, for example, we mentioned it last week. Go clean your room. What do they do? 
They don't clean the room. Have they really heard you? Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Clean your room. No, I heard exactly what you said. I memorized it, Mom and Dad. Well, you didn't do it. Show you have not heard it. Okay, so he talked about that. You can't just be a hearer of the word. You've got to be a doer. The second thing we need to see, that, see here is this. There's a scenario in which somebody thinks that they are good and religious and honor God because they do outward things but have no inward change in their heart. Dude, people all over the world. In fact, if you want to go through Trousdale County right now, you ask somebody if they're right with God or if they're religious, and you know what they're going to tell you? One time, it happens to me all the time because I'm a pastor. They find out I'm a pastor. I try not to wear that. I'm not ashamed of it. Okay, I love being the pastor here. It's my one of my. It's one of the great joys of my life. But I don't go tell everybody that because people automatically act weird around me. It's just the truth. I had a guy come work on my house the other day, super nice guy, and we were joking around until he found out I was the pastor, and, and then he came to my house to finish the work. He's like, how you doing, pastor? I was like, fine. You call me Matt. It's fine. That's not my name. It's Pat. You know what I mean? So anyway, get to this situation, and they find out I'm a pastor. You know what immediately they do? I like to give to charity. I went to church once. I got a big Bible. And I want to be really nice, and I'm like, in my heart, this is what I'm doing, so you could know the depths of my wickedness. I'm just like, good for you, buddy. That means squat, okay? Hear me. Just as it is worthless, just to say you heard the word and not do and put it to action, what God says, just as worthless that is, it's worthless to try to do religious actions with a heart that's far from God and to think that he accepts that. He says that form of religion is worthless and empty. So if you're coming here just to check the box off, you're showing up on Sunday morning just to check the box off of, hey, I did this, now God will please me, that is deadly because you are misunderstanding the gospel. See, many of us, you've already probably heard this in church before, I, I don't believe Christianity is a religion, it's a relationship. I think that's rightly put, maybe too simplistic, but rightly put, because I want you to feel, uh, if you can, religion is defined two ways. This is the way most of the world defines it. Rules and rituals that, if observe, observed, lead to divine favor or salvation. If you do this, and you're really good, if you obey all the rules, then God will love you and save you. That's what most of the world views religion as. And if you're thinking of religion in that way when it comes to these verses, you got it wrong because that, that form of religion is death. That's works-based salvation. You're trying to say, God love me. Look at how many good things I'm doing. Here is the beauty of the gospel. While you were dead in your trespasses and could offer him nothing, even your good behavior showed how sinful you were in your hypocrisy at that point because you, could, you knew you could do good, but you most of the time did bad. Maybe I'm just projecting because that was my, that was my situation. And so here, he, while we were in that helpless state, he made us alive in Christ through the good news of Jesus, and because of that, we obey. You see the difference? Reli the religion he is not talking about here, but religion in general, if you think about it, is this idea, if you do all the rituals and rites, God will save you. The gospel says Jesus has saved you, made you new, now go live a different way. That's the difference. And so that's not how he's talking about religion here. 
because he's talking about religion in a good sense, because he says if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart, and this person's religion is worthless. And then, verse 27, he talks about pure and undefiled religion. So religion, that's not what he's talking about, is that our idea of, or this idea of, if you do good, God will bless you and save you. That is not the gospel, and that's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about here is simply this. The religion that James is referring to in these, these verses basically mean this, the outward expression of what you believe. The outward obedience based on faith. It's the outward working of your religion. It is the actual doing of the hearing. And so he says this in verse 26, if you think that you are religious, that means you believe and you obey correctly, and, and you do not bridle your tongue, you deceive your heart and this person's religion is worthless. In other words, if you think you can do just religious good things and, be, and, and your heart can be far from God and you still be okay, you are deceiving yourself because religion that just keeps the rules but has a heart far from God is worthless. Here's a great example of it. The Pharisees. In the Bible, go back, there were Jesus, one of Jesus' main enemies. The Pharisees, you know what they used to do? They would meticulously keep the rules. Sometimes they would create rules upon rules upon rules so that they wouldn't break the initial rule. And they had books and books and books and books and books of rules. And there was no way they could, they were breaking rules all the time. And they would, do, they would get so, so OCD about keeping the law that they would even count, their, some of them would count to their 10th vegetable stock in their garden and be like, this one's for God. Every 10. You know how like, exhausting that must have been? You ever, you ever got, at your job, you ever filled out a form before? And then you get it back. Maybe you did this at school. Some of you guys are in school. You get, this, you get your paper back and there's red marks all over it or you get called in the office like, you filled that form out incorrectly. And every time you do something like that, you keep going it back. You keep going back to him. And like it's still done wrong. You're like, "What rule am I breaking now?" That's what the Pharisees did. They knew the rules. And Jesus called them out on this in Matthew 12:34. He calls them a brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? In in Matthew 12:34, he says this, "For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks." Just think about that for a second. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. James says this, if you think that you are religious, doing the right things, acceptable to God, your behavior is acceptable to God and honoring to him, but you do not keep your tongue under control, you're deceiving yourself, and your religion is worthless, and we get further. Now, Jesus, or James was the half-brother of Jesus. He would have known this teaching well, that Jesus said, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Get this. What you say is an indicator of what's in your heart. Think about that when you're driving in traffic in Nashville. Think about that. Think about that. I went to Longhorn with Amy last night. We had a little bit of a date. My mom and dad were gracious enough to watch Judson. So many of you know he's got mono. And so that's been kind of, we've been all hands on deck trying to help him. And we needed a little break. So mom and dad said, bring him over. We went on a date, saw a movie, went to eat at this place. Have you ever been to Gallatin or Hendersonville on a Saturday night? 
it is like purgatory. I don't believe purgatory exists, but if it did, it would be just like that, a waiting area with a bunch of angry people who are hungry and have those little pagers. Okay? I saw some of the most vile things that were being said to servers and to the hostesses. And I'll be honest with you, I have probably done that sometime. I know I have sometime in my life. I try to swear off that because you got to realize those those are people that work there. They don't work there just for kicks. They don't own that place. They're doing it for cash. They got to make they got to make the ends meet, okay? And these guys were coming and ladies were coming up and just giving the hostesses hard times. They all looked like they had been kicked repeatedly. They looked like dogs that had been like somebody had rolled up newspaper and smacked the dog in the nose. That's what it looked like the whole time. People coming, I haven't been seated yet. How long have you been here? Well, you said 45 minutes and I've been here for 15. I can't believe you. What is coming out of their heart there? Impatience. Themselves seeing themselves as God and everyone there to serve them. We've all been there too. Not throwing all the people a longhorn under the bus. It's just out of the overflow of our heart the mouth speaks. So if you think you can outwardly conform and be acceptable to God and not think that he sees your soul... You are foolish, and what you are practicing is worthless. Keeping a hold on your tongue shows what's in your heart. And so that's what he is so concerned about here is what does it mean to be a doer of the word? It's not just to outwardly do the things. It's to have a changed heart, which changes you, which changes you from the inside out. So what comes out is increasingly less sinful and increasingly more filled with grace. And then we go on to see this. So that's the first one, example of being a doer of the word. We're going to go on because he's going to talk about speaking later on in the book. But we're going to go on to the second thing. In verse 27, James says this. He goes on further, taking off that religion is worthless if it doesn't affect your speech, which shows your heart. Verse 27 says this, religion or the working out of your faith that is pure and undefiled. What does that mean? Pure and undefiled. Religion that is pure and undefiled. That means religion, first off, when you talk about pure, it's mean, it's, 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 it is at its essence what it's supposed to be. There are some people that, that drive around town all the time trying to look for the best gas prices. You do that? Anybody do that? I don't do that. I'm one of those people, it's gas there. I will get it. You charge me four and a half dollars. I don't care, okay? And some people are like, hey, man, you put ethanol in your car? Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know they mix the they mix the gasoline with ethanol. It's supposed to mess up your engine. Okay. Some of you, it drives you crazy that that is the case, and so you try to find that one gas station that's more expensive than the other gas stations to fill up there because that's pure gasoline. You don't know <laughs> unless you're a chemist. You don't know, but Sitco's got you. Okay. Pure means it's unadulterated, that it is pure, that it is what it's supposed to be. Secondly, he calls this religion that is supposed to be, and he's going to give us an example. It says undefiled, which means you can do that same thing. Some people believe the gas is defiled by putting the ethanol in it. It's no longer worthy of going into my automobile. And so religion that is pure 
and undefiled is this, that you visit or consider widows and orphans in their affliction. Now, I told you we're going to spend an inordinate amount of time on this point because it does not come back up in the book. And it is, important, is an important part of who our God is. First off, I want you to note something. Visiting widows and orphans in their affliction in the first century, where James' readers would have been, widows and orphans almost had no rights in that society. The men inherited everything. The women, if they weren't connected to a family and they were left without a husband, they could not get jobs most of the time, and they were left in poverty. To be a widow was to be near death's door. Secondly, also, children are not thought about the way children are thought in our culture. In fact, what we tend to do is we tend to, and listen, hear my heart on this, okay? I'm trying to get wisdom here, but this is what we do. We sometimes, when we have a kid, we build an altar when it's born and we worship it. All hail the power of Judson's name. Let angels prostrate fall. I will do everything for you, Judson. Some, I know you may not say it that way, and most of you don't have a kid named Judson, but in our culture, we raise kids up to be God. And that is never how they were supposed to be seen, but in the first century, it was the, so the opposite. Children who had lost their parents were subject to any number of things that could happen to them, slavery, um, any, tor- any, any number of things, exploitation, they would have been killed, it, it's, it, they would have had no, there was no orphanages, if you will, around there. Now, Israel had protections for these people, and we're going to see those in the Old Testament. I want you to know something. To be a widow and an orphan is not like it is today. It's not easy to be a widow or orphan today. I will not, I will not, I don't know what that's like, can't imagine it, but at least here we have things like the Tennessee Baptist Children's Home, we have adoption agencies all around. We have a foster care system here that is imperfect, but hey, there's some godly, or not, if they're not godly, there's some good people that are working in those systems that are trying to help those kids. There's places like the Nashville Rescue Mission and other places that help ladies who, who are experiencing domestic violence. See, this is not what was going on in the first century. To be at this point, you are the lowest of the low in society, those who could not defend themselves. And I want to run through something. In fact, the guys in the sound booth said, are we going to get through this sermon today? And I said, I hope so. But I want to run through something real quick. I want to show you in the Old Testament how much God cares about widows and orphans. We're going to do this real quick. Are you ready? Buckle your seatbelt because it's about to go fast up in here. Exodus 22, 21 through 24 says this. This is our God talking in the Old Testament about his heart for widows and orphans. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, just take a moment just to read this with me. If you, if you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. Whoa. That's big. Mess with the sojourner. Mess with the widow and mess with the orphan and I will make your kids widows and orphans. going on. Deuteronomy 10 verse 17 says this, for the Lord your God is 
God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God. How great is God? He's the greatest. Who is not partial and takes no bribe? You can't bribe God because he doesn't need it. Verse 18, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Psalm 146.9, the Lord watches over the sojourner, the traveler, the refugee. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Just in case the point has not been made yet, Psalm 68, 4 through 6, which you're getting your praise on. You don't think about getting your praise on and thinking about orphans, but here's what happens. Sing to God, sing praises to his name, lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord, exult before him. We may have even sung something like that before, but then verse 5 of Psalm 68 says this, Father of the fatherless. It calls God Father of the fatherless and the protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. Finally, just in case we have not made the case that God cares and he is the God of the fatherless and he cares about the widow and the least and the last and the refugee, Deuteronomy 14, 28 through 29 says this. This is specific instructions to the people of Israel on how to actually physically care for people who could not care for themselves because of their situation in life and their destitution. Deuteronomy 14, 28 says this. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithes of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. So bring all your food out. Give a tenth of it. And the Levite, because he has no portion, that's the priestly class, the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner and the fatherless and the widow who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all, in all the work of your hands that you do. Do you hear this? From the very beginning, God has cared about the fatherless and the widow. He has a heart for them. They can't give him anything. But our God has seen those who are in destitution and crying out in need, and he cares for them so. He's a defender of them. He is the father to the fatherless. He cares about the orphans and the widows. So much so, and this is such an important concept in the Bible, that from the Old Testament, the way God cared about the, the orphans and the widows, when it comes to to being adopted and orphans, he uses that image to talk about our salvation in the New Testament. See, here's the, I mentioned this in my prayer a minute ago. Because of sin, you're an orphan. Satan is your father now, apart from Jesus. He is the ruler of this world. And you had a heavenly inheritance, and you ran off like the prodigal, and now you are no longer like your father in nature, and you are by nature enemies. You're children of wrath apart from Jesus. But the good news of the Bible is that while we were yet sinners, and while we were yet sojourners, and while we were yet prodigals, and while we were yet far away from our God, and while we were fatherless because of sin, and our, 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 our position was just destitute, we had no hope, what happens? He adopts us in love. 
It takes a kid that's not his, who's so different and even rebellious against him, and he brings him in his home, gives him a robe, and says, son, you're my son. You got the lay of the land. Here's a robe. Here's your clothes. Here's your certificate that you get all that I have. You're my son. You don't believe me? Romans 8, 15 through 17. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Don't believe me? Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the earth that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Follow me now. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of the will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. I want you to see this here. That if you are in Jesus, you are not, if you're in Christ and you have salvation, it's not because you deserved it. It's because he loved you when you weren't his, when you were your own entity when you are by, uh, by, by nature a child of wrath, he comes, and this is a plan before the world began, we even see in Ephesians, that he chose us in him, predestined us, and he chose us, and then what does he do? He adopted us into the family. That's the image here. So that's one of the reasons I want to make sure we understand this, that when he's talking about pure and undefiled religion, our God understands adoption. He understands the plight of the widow and the orphan. And he says that his people who will practice pure, 100% pure religion, unadulterated religion, we will look at people like that, those the least and the last, especially the orphans and the widows, and our hearts would be overwhelmed with compassion because we'd see our God's heart and we'd see our condition. Now, what does this mean, Matt? What are, you, what, are you, what are you getting at? What are you pointing to? What are you saying the Scripture says? First off, I think at the very base level is we need to be about, if, if the Lord says, here's what pure religion is, I think by the very least we should take him at his word and, and figure out what it is. And we need to care for widows and orphans. For example, I, I, this is one thing I love about this church, and, and I'm just so thankful for it. We have a food ministry that, that, that works um, two times a month to feed people who are in need. I'm sure some people take advantage of us. I, you know, it's just the, net, the nature of it. But the amount of widows we get to feed in Jesus' name, oh, that makes our God smile and reflects his nature to people. And I tell you what, I don't know if we've had but maybe two or three people come from that, but I will tell you one thing. I know it has showed the people of this town the abounding love of Jesus. And I'm not tooting our own horn. I want to say we're doing some things right. We got some things we need to work on that we're not doing right, right? And so I just want you to see that. That's one way. Our food ministry is one of those. And we're taking volunteers anytime you want to volunteer if you're free. Secondly, there is a pregnancy center that's coming into Hartsville. Soon you'll be hearing more and more about that. It's going to open soon. They're asking churches around here for donations and for volunteers. Now, why would you say a pregnancy center is needed? I want you to know something. We have 
so many people who are becoming pregnant and they don't know what to do and there's a culture of death that is screaming, get rid of it. And we're not being consistently pro-life if we don't, if we talk about being against abortion, we don't do anything against it or anything to help those ladies who are, who are by, by all intents and purposes at this point, they are widows and who are scared and who need somebody to love them. And ladies, you don't want us counseling them. Dudes, we don't know what to say to pregnant ladies. Any of you have been pregnant with your, with your husband sitting next to you, you know we don't know what to say. We know how to make you mad, make you cry, hurt you, but we don't know what to say right. But there's so many of you who could just come and give an arm to these ladies and go get the training and go spend an afternoon and go love in Jesus' name because that is protecting both those ladies who are, who are basically, in all intents and purposes, widows, helpless, and you're helping those, those unborn children no life, and their life is important. Do you know why they're not just a mass of tissues? It's because God creates life. And if you're here today, and that's been you, and you've had one of those things, and you're bearing that shame, I want you to know something. There is grace for you in the name of Jesus. Because it's not, it's what he has done, his finished work that can make you right. I just want you to hear that clearly. What are we supposed to do to put our faith in action? We care for them. One of the ways we're doing it is through food ministry. One of the ways we can care for the widows and orphans. And, and to do this is to care for those who are the least and last, those who have the unplanned pregnancy, those who are in crisis because of the pregnancy. Notice I didn't say crisis pregnancy because no pregnancy is a crisis. It's a crisis situation sometimes when it's outside. We can protect those ladies who are being hounded upon by, by, by evil organizations like Planned Parenthood who profit off of death. We can keep them from those places, and we can provide health care to them. Do you notice, I want you to think about this. Notice the names of the hospitals in this town. Now, you got Vanderbilt, or in the town surrounding. You got Vanderbilt. What else? You got Baptist, right? Nashville? St. Thomas? Do you know why they named those that? Do you know why? It wasn't just like, you know what would be fun? We just put Baptist on the thing. No, it's because Christians have started hospitals all over the world for years. Do you know why? Because we care because our God cares. That is the truth. His heart beats for the least and the last, and we were that, even if you're higher on the totem pole in society than you think the other person is. Another way is you can give and take in an orphan. I want you to know something. There are 400,000, approximately, okay, 400,000 children in foster care in the United States of America. There are 300,000 Protestant churches. Now, let's go ahead and say not all of them are preaching and teaching the God of the Bible. This is the case. Let's take that back. There's 100,000 evangelical churches. All right? And there's 50,000 Southern Baptist churches, which we're affiliated with and have the same belief system that we do for the most part, described to the same thing. Now, I know something. 
Some of you are going to hear this message. You've immediately tuned me out because we're talking about orphans. You're like, <laughs> that ship sailed, homie. I'm not doing that. Foster care is not even something I think about. And adoption is something I'm not in for. I don't know what you're talking about. I want you to hear this first off. First off, if you come into church and come to the Bible and say what you're not going to do and what you are going to do, once you know something, you're being disobedient. Because that Jesus said, follow me if you like it, right? Follow me if you think my words are good. No, follow me. Take up your cross and do it. And if you don't, you got no place with me. Oh, okay. So that's the first thing I'd tell you. Second thing I would tell you is this. Not everyone is called to adopt or foster. We all are called to be compassionate for the least and the last. But I just, let's just take, for example, if, if there's 100,000 evangelical churches, by that I mean they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ by faith alone, that you come to salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. They preach that, they preach that message. If there's 100,000 of those churches, which by all indications, that's how many there are, if each of those churches took in four foster kids, there would be no foster kids in the United States of America. That's crazy. Now, I'm not looking for this to change. But I am hoping that we will practice pure and undefiled religion and that some of us in here might see that need to foster a child and that we could be part, and we put our hands in and we'll be part of the four. Or we see a widow who's in trouble or a girl with an unplanned pregnancy, and instead of talking about her and gossiping about her, we'll take her into our house and love her and point her, point, point her towards Jesus, that we might take in a kid. We know something about these kids that are in foster care now. Don't, let's, not, let's, not, let's not beat around the bush. Some of them have been drug addicted since the womb. Some of them have special needs. Some of them are hard to love and have problems attaching. I've walked through this with many a, pe- many a person that I've gotten to pastor over the years. I want you to know something, though. First off, the cross that Jesus tells us to take up is meant to cost us our lives. Just because, it hard, just because it's hard and difficult does not mean you're not called to do it. Convenience is a deadly disease for us sometimes. Secondly, I want you to know something. I got this opportunity to sit in a service in which they were talking. And it was this, this was at First Baptist Church of High Springs in High Springs, Florida. I got to sit in a service. We stayed late one night and went to the went to the Sunday morning service. And before we got back to Georgia, we went to the Sunday night service of this church because we heard they were talking. My, my brother-in-law was playing music, and we heard they were going to talk about foster care. And this girl, this lady, got up, and she has four kids of her own, and she started she started the foster care process. And many people in there were like, "What are you doing? You've got four. <laughs> and you're getting more, okay? And Jim Gaffigan says it's like this. What's it like to have four kids? It's like you're drowning and someone hands you a baby, okay? And people are like, don't do it. Don't do it. In fact, her and her husband, he's a police officer. They're like, don't do it. Well, he showed up to a house of a bunch of a house that had been a, a crack house, and he shows up. And he sees this baby there who has been sitting in this car seat for God knows how long. And the car seat is full of urine. And he takes that baby up in his arms and he comes home and he tells his wife, he's like, we have to do something about this because this is not what our God would want. And she was like, you're crazy. We have four kids. No. (laughs) And then she said this, I don't think I can love one and then give it back. 
And this Holy Spirit of God, as she told, gave her testimony, over the next week started saying, how selfish is that? It is not about you. It's about that child and the glory of God. And she's telling this thing, and I'm telling you, ugly crowd was coming up on me. I was just like, that is not okay. <laughs> I mean, that was just, I mean, what? Wow. And these are just normal people. And I want you to know something. God calls very ordinary people to do extraordinary things. He empowers us for his glory. They are not easy. They are not safe. They are not sexy. But he calls us to do these wild things in his name. And you think about it, adoption and foster care, they're crazy. You don't know what you're bringing into your house. You don't know what you're doing here. And you're telling you're going to make them a part of your family. I want you to know something. That's exactly what God has done for us. And let's just risk a little bit, people, for the name and the glory of Jesus. Going on, I want you to show you some pictures of some people I've gotten to know. Because I want you to give some, like, firm examples of these people that adopt. Sometimes we look at them and they're like, yeah, man. Look at those people. No, these are ordinary people empowered by the grace of God. I want to show you somebody. This, this is a picture of Bill and Jennifer Campbell. got to meet them in Haiti in 2008. We're not even friends on Facebook. They probably don't know how much I admire them, but we were at, the, we were at a wedding, and my sister-in-law got married in Haiti. To a Haitian guys, why should you get married in Haiti? That's not like a wedding destination. So we went there, and I met these people. He was driving a truck. In fact, he had a good job. He drove hazardous materials in, in a, like a semi-trucks. And because of that, he got paid quite a lot of money. And he was doing well. And they had two kids. And both of them were about to get their like, middle school age. And, and they start, God started working on their heart about the orphans in Haiti. You're thinking, this was their conversation as I was listening to this unfold while we were having coffee at this little resort. The good coffee, too, like Haitian strong, good coffee is awesome, okay? It makes you talk longer when you got good coffee. We were right there, and they are telling us this story about how everybody thought they were nuts because he sold his truck, he changed his business, he took his kids, out of high, his kids out of middle school right before high school, and they moved to Haiti, and they opened an orphanage. Do you know what? They did not know how to open an orphanage. They just went to Haiti, and everybody thought they were nuts. And this guy's a truck driver, and I think she taught school. No other things. They have been down there for in this place called Haiti Home of Hope Ministries, and they are taking care of malnourished children, and I think they have 12 in their home. And you would think that their kids would be, like, just struggling, but they have flourished as well. And this guy drove a truck. I can't do it. It's all in pastors and missionaries and FYI, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a minute, you are a missionary. Secondly, I want to show you these folks. These are some good friends of mine from Macon. I don't know if you can see that picture. Um, the tall guy in the back is named Adam. <laughs> the short little girl or short little lady right over here is named Amanda. Um, Adam and Amanda were instrumental in bringing us and as me as a youth pastor when I was in Macon. Um, they had two little boys when we got there. They're now the real tall ones. They were very small when we got there. Um, they, uh, God got on their heart. These people, I mean, he's a, he's a mechanical engineer and she's a, she helps, um, does, she does physical therapy, occupational therapy. I'm sorry. And God just, and they just love Jesus and God started working on their heart. Pray for him. Cause I think, you know, she graduated from the university of Georgia. Okay. He's a Georgia tech guy. So you probably like the Georgia tech guy more. Okay. God put it on their heart to adopt 
That that little well, she's not little anymore, but she was an infant when they adopted her. Her name is Brianna. They adopted her, and then out of the blue, they got a phone call. Her biological brother was born. Do you want her? Or want him? His name's Charlie. And they were like, not even a question. They didn't even talk about it. Yep, we'll take him. Two days later, they had another baby in their house. These people are no, these are like normal people. But God does extraordinary things through ordinary people who follow him. Thirdly, I want you to know something. You'll know these next people. This, I didn't ask John, so we'll just get it. He put it on Facebook, so I think this is cool. This is John and Lori Griffin. They have they had these two little little twin girls right here who are just cute as a button. They were in the process of adopting in 2009. If you don't know who John is, John helped found this church. And he has served our, as our bookkeeper for so well for so long, and he's just a really good guy. And Mary has a wonderful family. They were trying to adopt when they got pregnant with their twins. They knew it was still part of God's heart to do this, and so they're adopting a child from the Philippines in process. It's going to cost, and I'm not telling you anything you don't know because they put this on Facebook, it's going to cost 30 Gs to do this. It's not cheap, it's not easy, but it's the work of God, friends. And you might not be called to that. I understand. This is not some blanket thing. I want, first off, I want you to be open to where the Spirit might lead you because God leads you into some weird places for His glory. First off, be open. Secondly, I know that's not where some of us will be, but I know something. You can give financially. Go write them a check if you want to help. I don't usually dun people for money, but if you want to do it, you feel so inclined, that's godliness right there. Go write them a check. Secondly, you just be, give friendship to somebody who's in this situation because most of the time people who want more children are ridiculed in this world. If you, I have several friends that have multiple children. I don't know how they do it. I got one. That's, an, I like, that's like a lot for me, okay? But some of them have multiple kids, all right? And, and some of them have like multiple, multiple kids where they drive like the, like the church vans everywhere they go, okay? And people go up to them all the time like, you know how that happens, don't you? What's wrong with you for having that many kids is basically the, the, the thing that they'd say. And I want you to know something. The culture says kids are a burden. The Bible says kids are a blessing. And, yes, they are a pain in the neck sometimes. Can I get some mama saying, hey, amen on that one? But they are the blessing of God. And they are the way, we are one of the ways in which we pass along our faith in our God and Father. Raising a child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord is a good thing, and it should not be talked down about and thought down about. So you just need to not say ugly comments to people. I know that's tough, but encourage those with, who, who want to do this instead of being like, you sure you want to do that? You sure? That's a lot of... No, say, I will pray for you about that. No, it's tough, but I'm behind you because this is God's work. Secondly, just pray for them. Have a cup of coffee. Watch their stinking kids. Let them go out and, like, breathe for a minute. I mean, just, just hear, the, hear our God in this. I know we've spent a lot of time on this, but pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is to consider widows and orphans in their affliction. Now, I want you to be clear about this. This does not end here. This is not, a, this is not the whole of what it means to be practice undefiled and pure religion. This is just one example of the charity and compassion that shall well up in the heart of every believer because it's our God's heart and we are supposed to follow his heart. 
So there's so many other areas you can be involved in. But I know, here's this. If you're a believer, put your faith into action. Love an orphan. Love a widow. Love the least of the last. Take the homeless guy to, to dinner. Don't just give him the money. Go eat with him. It may be the weirdest dinner you've ever had in your life. I got stories, man. But I tell you something. That's the heart of God. That's what it means to put your faith into practice. You've had an explicit illustration from the Bible. It's not Ikea, folks. It's YouTube. It's up in your face. You can rewind it, watch it again. Finally, I want you to see this as we just conclude, as we see in verse 27. It says this. Here's what it means. Pure and undefiled religion is this. Visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep yourself unstained from the world. Unstained from the world means it means guard your heart against the world. Now, this is what this is what this verse is not teaching. It is not teaching us to to stay outside and to stay away from people who are not of of who do not follow Jesus. That would be the that would be the opposite of the Great Commission. What it is saying is that there is a world system, a belief system, a thought that is out there that goes against the Bible, and it's hostile towards the things of God. It's satanic in its origin, and we also see it as prevalent in the world today. I will give you an example of this, of, of what I'm talking about, and we, can, and we have to guard ourselves from being worldly. Now, he's going to talk about this later on in, in James um, chapter 4. He'll talk about guarding against worldliness, but just real quick, I want you to know this. I was in Orlando, Florida several, several years ago. Amy and I were on vacation, and we were downtown in Orlando. This guy comes up to me, and he is the, like the slickest swindler of all time. Before I knew it, he says, hey, you want to give to this organization? And I was like, no. And then he was like, but look, you get this t-shirt and hat. And I was like, okay. And before I knew it, I had handed him 40 bucks. And Amy's like, what are you doing? And I put, <laughs> I got this hat and t-shirt in my hand. Like, this awful hat and t-shirt. Like, you could see through the t-shirt, and it's this awful, like, visit Orlando hat. Like, you will never wear outside of Orlando, because that's the only place you can wear a visit Orlando hat, okay? So before I knew it, I had this dumb hat on my head, and I was like, I don't know. What did you even give money to? He said a charity. What charity? I don't know. Before I knew it, I was just completely and utterly bamboozled. And I want you to know something. That is how... The satanic world works. Watching a movie with my son, and it was a kid's movie. At the very end of that, it had this scene in which all these families were united with these babies. This is a kid's movie, and what do they sneak in? Same-sex families. Now listen, guys. (laughs) We are not supposed to hate, but we are supposed to talk about truth. And I want you to know something. That is against God's word. And they're just sneaking it in. So we must guard ourselves from worldliness. And all of this comes back to this. See, this is not mere obedience. This is obedience out of love. In John 14, 15, Jesus says this. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So let's insert something. If you love me, work to bridle your tongue. If you love me, consider widows and orphans in their afflictions. If you love me, guard yourself from the world. Let's pray. Father, you have lavished grace upon us. You are a father to the fatherless. You are a protector of the widow and the orphan. You have adopted us while we were orphaned by sin. You made us alive in sons through Christ. 
you are so good to us, and we pray that we would not just be a hearer of the word, but a doer only. God, you tell us, Jesus told us that if we love you, we keep your commandments. So let us keep your commandments. God, let us work to bridle our tongue. Lord, let us work to care for the widow and the orphan and show compassion to the least and the last and the downcast. And God, let us guard ourselves from the world so that we might be holy and chaste before you. Jesus, help us. In your name we pray. Amen. We ask our, our deacon team to come forward, and we're going to pass out the offering at this time. And as we do that, if you would, please turn your attention to the screen. TJC Hartsville ladies. Um, I just wanted to do a quick video to introduce myself. My name is Christy Parker and I am very much looking forward to being with you for the upcoming Lyft Conference. One thing I know when we come together to focus on the Lord, to hear from Him, to lift His name high. He is faithful to always accomplish great and mighty things, and we leave changed forever. I'm looking forward to meeting you all, and I love you already. See you soon. We are the city This is our major announcement. Ladies, if you are between the ages of 13 and 99, you got a 100-year-old, you're, com you're comped, okay? You can still come, all right? Here's the good news. We have an awesome conference coming up next weekend. I hope you can make it. It starts on Friday night from 7 to 9, and then Saturday it's from 10 to 6. Work hard to find some child care for this to come. We pray that you will come to this. We have our last day to sign up. We, we have... Today's the last day to sign up. We'll push you back till Monday. If you still are, are thinking about coming, Monday is the time. I want you to know something. If you can't make it for the whole time, you can come for part of the conference. It's going to be a great time. Christy's got, she, what she's got planned for you ladies is going to be so encouraging and so Jesus-filled. I just, I, I'm excited. I'm not even a lady, but I'm like, you know, I'm a pump for this, okay? So I want you to just encourage you as much as possible. Please give this a try. I know this may be way outside of your comfort area, and you're like, I don't know about this. I won't know anybody. Please, please, at least come talk to us. We're going to have Amy McAvoy. Would you raise your hand right there? And let's see. I think Amy Ayers is in the, she's downstairs serving. Go figure, right? So Amy McAvoy, if, if you see her down here, come down to the front and sign up if you are not going. If you have a question, about it. In any way, come and talk to us about it. We love to answer your questions. And listen, do not let the $25 cost stand in the way. We have scholarships available. Please come. This is for ages 13 to 99. So you got teenage ladies, you are welcome to come to this too, and you'll get a blessing out of it. Lunch is going to be provided. You're going to have some great stuff, some great fun, and you're going to have a great project, something to even take home with you, okay, besides all the good content. Have I pumped it enough? I think I have. Let's stand, and we're going to be Ladies, you make your way down here as soon as we get done, okay? Let's hear these words of benediction from the book of Revelation 1, 5, and it says this, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood 
and made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Go in his grace.